This episode is sponsored by RSVP. RSVP brings together two established video playback companies into one powerhouse with over 50 years of onset knowledge. The experienced and growing team are all skilled in the latest recording software with up-to-date HD video recording equipment, HD monitors and HD wireless packages. RSVP understand that the requirements for every shoot are different. So for a tailor quote, get in touch at info at rsvp.london. Let's get started. Hola film family, I'm Isusko, your host, aka The Time Scheduler. Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, which is a chat with the best of the UK film crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. I want to give a special thanks to Island Studios for the recording space. Thank you, Mark, Mitch, Pauline and the whole team. Wherever you're listening, hope you enjoy. Big love. So, hi, film family. Um, Very special guest today, and it is um, a second round for this person um, because I'm learning, and the more that I'm listening to other podcasts and the more that I'm learning, the more I kind of realised that what I was doing before probably wasn't the best way to to do it. Um, So firstly, a massive thank you to our special guest. Um, He's someone that I'm very privileged to have kind of run for and seconded for, and as a first AD is kind of like the lighthouse of the future of ADing for all the tech stuff. He's not, it's not pen and paper no more, it's changing. Um, so I just want to say a big, big thanks for him to coming out. So, um, so if you could tell the listeners who you are and what is your job title on, a, on the call sheet. Good morning, listeners. My name's Jay Lusser, I'm a first AD. And what does a first AD do? What, what is it that you do? Describe. So your first AD is um, uh, the, the, the coordinator on sets when you're shooting. The, I, I put a schedule together based on information from the recce, from meetings with the director and the producer, figure out, and the DOP, and figure out the best way and sequence that we're going to shoot something depending on the locations and all sorts of factors. And then uh, on the shoot days themselves run that schedule, make sure the information's passed around so that everyone's got, got everything ready that we need for the various shots and um, uh, coordinate the day. So it's a planning and logistics role. Okay. So what does your, what does a job look like? When does it start? How do you get into it? And, and what is it that you're trying to achieve? Um, so before the shoot day, there'll, you, there'll be at least a day's worth of prep, Mm -hmm. um, depending on what the job's like, whether it's a location job or a studio job. Um, On a location job, there'll be a recce, Mm -hmm. um, where heads of department, um, being the director, producer, myself, uh, DOP, art director, uh, gaffer, grip, and then any other speciality departments like like special effects, Mm -hmm. um, stunts, wires... Um, that kind of thing will be with us. Location manager will be there to show us locations mm-hmm. um, and we'll discuss the storyboards, what needs to be shot and then between the heads of department work out any limitations or parameters within that that, that, that affect how the schedule goes together. So might be time of day, which, which direction the light's coming from, might be availability of location, mm-hmm. might be all sorts of things. Um, and then from that, or from that recce, a schedule will get put together um, and then we'll turn up on the shoot. There'll be some other discussions around that as well. So it'll be at least one day, um, sometimes more, 
um, depending on how complicated the schedule is and whether an office day is required to go through everything with with other departments who aren't there on the recce, like mm-hmm. heads of makeup and wardrobe, yep. etc. Um, if it's a studio day, then you don't really get a recce unless it's a big build. You mm-hmm. need to work something out and treat it like a location. Or, yep. but um, usually there'll be conversations on the phone, storyboards will be sent out. Mm-hmm. You might have a meeting with the director. If there's a pre-light day, then a lot of the not the finer points, the schedule will get hashed out on that pre-light day when you've got all the relevant people, the same heads of department, in the room together. Have you done a schedule before the pre-light? So on a, on a build day, have you kind of got a sense of what you're doing or do you just turn up on day on that day and kind of go, right, Yeah, it, often, often you've got a sense. It, it really depends on the job. Um, mm-hmm. on, you know, I've seen the storyboard, um, had some conversations and roughed something out to kind of give us an idea of what the shooting order will be. Um, Do you ever get told, that the, are there ever elements of time where you're like, you're not forced into it, but you kind of, there's only certain times that, you, you know, your schedule is already predetermined? Yeah, there's the, that's actually really helpful in a lot of ways because okay. um, it's like getting a corner piece in a jigsaw. Mm. You know, if you know, nice. you know, if you know you can only shoot with, that particular actor mm-hmm. for that number of hours um, and you've got to do it when the sun's in a certain position so it's not affecting the shot yeah. and these are the particular hours that you can be in that location. For example, those three factors come together to say, okay, well, we can only... That's it. We can only shoot this between two and five. Mm. So that sits there in the schedule mm. and then let's build everything else around it. So in, those, in that kind of way... It, Restrictions like that can be really useful because it focuses the mind of everybody and goes, okay, so this has to happen mm. at this time. Yeah. It's not possible for it to happen at any other point in time. Mm. Um, so, What's the best thing to do before? What's the best thing to do yeah, after? exactly. Okay. What's the most time-efficient way of moving ourselves around that linchpin? Nice. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a good thing to have that. I mean, it, it, it helps because otherwise you're kind of you're sort of looking at a bunch of storyboard frames which you could shoot in any order whatsoever and yeah. it's looking for reasons to order it in a certain way. Okay. What would be... What are some reasons? Uh, kids' hours are always a good one um, because you've yep. got a limited amount of time that you can shoot with, with children. Mm-hmm. Um, time of day from the cameraman to say... This, the light's best here at such and such time of the day, or, more, or even more helpful, we absolutely can't shoot it at this time of day because the light's like this. Oh, so also, as, as useful as this, it can be done. Yeah. Knowing when it can't be done is just as useful. Yeah, okay. it's just as, it can be just as useful. I mean, sometimes, mm, it, sometimes it becomes in, impossible to avoid those moments where mm. the light's at its worst, but usually those things can be, often those things can be dealt with, unless you're on, you know... 15th floor of an office block and the sun's right there and there's no way of blocking it out yeah. you know then um there's usually a way around most of these things but it's good to take on as many of those restrictions as you can mm. um so as not to cause grief for other departments when you're when you're shooting other restrictions would be getting you know getting people ready so you don't you know, first shot of the day, you don't want it to be hundreds and hundreds of people if you can avoid it because yeah. it means very, very early, early start. Early pre-calls and... Yeah, and it's, 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 it's unpleasant for those doing the job and, it's, <laughs> and it costs money for the producer. So yeah. um, those kind of things, yeah, 
every show, every job's different, but those are some of the some of the examples of things that might affect why you're shooting in a certain way. Because I guess we, I spoke to someone else, and they were like, "You tend to normally start on the wide." But actually, just talking about that, actually, if you are out in a field and you've got hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe you build to your big wide, not just an average wide, but like a, so it's like a super wide. Mm. Are there little rules and things, are there little rules that you've got in your mind when you're kind of doing a show? Do you go, I always like to do that before this? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a continuity factor in that, is if you're establishing something in a wide and then going in for mids and close-ups and certainly action continuity, mm. then, yeah, you do want to shoot the wide first because you don't want to tie yourself into something with, in a mid or a close-up, mm. which will, then when you come out in a wide, you realise it looks like a mistake. Um, often, sometimes it might not matter mm. too much, you know, in terms of the continuity, but you don't want to be kind of hamstringing yourself yeah. with those sort of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, that's a kind of good rule of thumb of scheduling is walking wide and then push in for coverage because it establishes all the actions. Mm. Nice. Mm. Now, that building of a schedule, if, if you, you're a busy man, you've got, you're already confirmed on a job for that one week, you can send your second to the recce mm. for another job. What kind of things are you looking for that second to come away with what information do you like to have? Because obviously being there, you can hear the conversations, you can ask the conversations. What what kind of stuff do you would you like your second to come away with from the schedule? Um, Are there certain elements of a thing that you're like, I have to know these questions? It will depend on it will depend on the board. Mm-hmm. So before sending someone else on a recce, I'll have had a look at the storyboard and I'll try to have a chat with the producer. Okay. And they, if there's specifics that we need that I need to find out about, then I'll have spoken to the second and asked them to check specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's like I just you know, like, like we're saying, it's, it's about just going through each board, figuring out where we are, you know, sketches of ground plans and. Location photos are always really useful to then have a chat with a second afterwards to go, okay, so we can, yeah, we're in this room, but we need to shoot this way first and then that way mm-hmm. for this reason. Little hand sketches. Hand sketches are fine. Anything really, you know, anything, even if, even better if the location manager's got a, a proper ground plan that you can scribble on. Okay. You know, that's always useful. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it depends on the location you're in. Some will have that. Some locations provide that, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but just those sort of questions, so... From the DOP, what what their what their preferences are, what their limitations are. Talking, you know, all, all the conversations then with the location manager on a location about where everything's going to go, how close you can get the Jenny, whether we're recording sound, um, where, you know, where we're going to put the agency, all those sort of things. The, the, the nuts and bolts of the logistics. Yeah, yeah. Bogs, bogs and bins. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, bogs and bins. Yeah, <laughs> nice. you know that sort of thing, which is although it's. You know, the it's it's the location manager's department. It's mm-hmm. always it's very useful to know and to have input in, yeah. and to say, well, we can't put any tech vehicles there because of the shot that we're doing, which looks out of the window mm. at that bit of the street. So we need to keep that bit clear at this part, this time of the day. Um, those sort of things. It's it's just the details of making sure that you stood in the location and it works. Mm-hmm. And you're not having to move things out of your way every five minutes ideally is that an important factor of how like how far in advance are you thinking 
as a, so when you turn up in the morning, have you already got the day in your head? Or are you kind of thinking, well, the first three shots are here? On the recce or on the shoot day? Um, I guess <clears throat> the sh- like more so the shoot day, because yeah. I guess the recce, you're kind of figuring it out. But Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the shoot day, ideally, I want to have a kind of conversation with members of the crew who weren't there on the recce. So, okay. so for example, folk, you know, the, the camera team, so mm-hmm. the first and second AC, um, playback, um, to... It, to, know, to just to let them know what our shooting sequence is, mm-hmm. recap with the DOP and the gaffer to make sure they're on up to speed. Talk to the camera teams. Go okay. So these these are the places we're going to be shooting within this location. This that that area there is what I think is safe for you and your gear. Nice. Um, so and for playback, we'll put you over there. That way you don't have to move for the day. Mm. Uh, those kind of things just. If people feel, I always think if people feel included and feel like you've thought about what they're doing to their benefit, then they're yeah. a little bit more receptive if yeah. things... No one wants yeah. to move five times no. just because you... And, and if things do go a bit peaked then and you have to move, and you have control. to move, you know, yeah. but it's, um, that's something you can deal with at the time, hopefully. Nice. And, and most people, you know, most people on a film set are really lovely mm-hmm. and they want to be included and they want to do their best job. So it's a, just about making sure that they feel like you're not pushing them to one side mm. uh, for any reason, really. Um, but it's certainly, so turning up on set, I'd have the day in my head, the, the kind of the full day in my head and try and get that, um, recap that information with the crew. They will have had a call sheet and, yeah. and a schedule by that point, by email, but they might not have read it. Uh, they might have been working on the first couple yeah, yeah. of shots. So yeah. it's just useful. To when's see. lunch? When's wrap? Yeah. <laughs> we're here, we're here, we're here. And then yeah, we yeah. go upstairs yeah. and then we come back down and then we do this bit. And while we're doing that bit, that's being tented out and, you know, all those sort of things. So that's, they, you know, they, they retain about, you know, some of that information and they'll need to ask to shut off. But it's just, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, cool. it's, it's kind of nice to get, to keep people in that loop as yeah. early as possible. And what else happens on a shoot day that you kind of, that a first AD should be on top of, things that you kind of do that, you know, little nuggets of knowledge? It's, it's, it's as much about thinking ahead as, as anything else. Mm-hmm. It's about... I think it's about just saying, okay, so we've got one more shot in here and then we're going into that room. Is it, you know, have we cleared everything out that we need to? Is, is, is it ready? Mm. Of, you know, talking to the gaffer, say, is there anything you can be getting ahead with, you know, for that, like, you know, for that area to be, to be ready and lit? Um, just keeping everything flowing so that you're not, so that you're not, haven't got un, un, unexpected delays, unplanned delays. Never, there's always going to be, when you move from one location to another, there's always going to be an amount of time that's going to take to move yourself from the camera and through and get the frame approved and check for dressing and all that kind of thing. But you don't want anything else to get in the way of that. Check for dressing, what do you... What's, oh, what's, set, set, set dressing. There might be okay. a particular thing that the client's looking for. Or, well, I mean, the director's going to want to look at the set dressing and adjust mm. things potentially as well. And as much as you can do that off-camera, there's always going to be an element of fiddling when you're on camera as well. Does it, or did you ever kind of... Is there any benefit from having people look in the set or is it better to look in the camera? What's your... What, depends? It, it depends. It depends. I mean, it's always worth... The director looking with the you know with the designer mm-hmm. um, and the props team just to see that they're happy with everything. It may be worth walking the um, 
you know, walking the some of the agency through, but usually best just to show them on the on monitor because you the, if you if you're looking by eye at a set, you might be looking at things that you're never going to see on camera. Mm. So there's you're kind of giving a you're, false you're, representation you're, of the frames. Yeah, you're not giving yeah you're not giving them the frame. You're also they might be looking at things that they don't need to be worrying about. Mm. Um, and people love to worry about things that they, they don't need to worry about. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing, I mean, on a shoot day, the thing that, you, that the AD team needs to keep on top of is just to make sure that you've got any talent, animals, people that are required on set are well informed in advance that they're going to be required. Mm. So whether yeah, whether that's a cast member, whether that's an animal handler, whether that's a uh, stunt coordinator, um, or and all other departments to make them aware that we're you know we're going to be approaching to that, bit, that, okay. that location. We're going to go go in there in half an hour mm. or you know, unit move coming up. Let's start packing away anything that needs that's not being not being used. Let's get ready to move. All those sort of things. It's just thinking in advance because um, it's no good finishing a shot and saying, "All right, what should we do now?" <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a load of stuff that we could do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. And do you do, do you ever get to you know you're on a set and you have a plan in place and it makes perfect sense and it all works logistically, but then actually you get on set. And a director or a DP suddenly goes, oh, that would be a better thing. You know, how flexible is, what, what's the, you know, how, it, it, how flexible can you be on set to, to then still be efficient? Do, do, you, do you make that call at the time and you go, actually, if it's going to save me five minutes by doing that that's not scheduled? It, that happens all the time. Okay. You know, you're, all, you're always having to think on your feet it's very I mean it's not I suppose it's not rare that you shoot everything as per schedule all the time but it's certainly not it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time mm. um, yeah there could be all sorts of things that might throw a spanner in the works it might be a key prop that's been changed or something that's been thrown in by you know either a creative or a thought the director's had or, 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 mm. you know, or just something that for some reason isn't ready on time or there could be all sorts of all sorts of things that get thrown in and I think that so long as you've got all the information in your schedule about what's required in what area and you can have a quick conversation with the other HODs and just figure out that if you do change things around then you go to that location instead of that location is it going to have a knock-on effect that you can't see mm. um it might be, if you're in locations that require a move between them, it might be something to do with vehicle logistics for one of the departments of get, having the kit in the right place and mm. they're, jump, they're leapfrogging vehicles. And if, you, and if you bypass that location to there, it's going to throw everything out. Usually, it's, not, it's rare that there's something that's, that completely prevents you from mm. changing things up at all. Usually, things are... Uh, achievable but it might cost you in time mm. um, so then that's another conversation about well if we we, you know, we can change this up because this has come out but actually it's going to cost you an hour and um, who's, who's ultimately then is that, that the SD well it's the producer it's a conversation with the producer mm-hmm. um, it's letting them know that that's the situation this needs changing for that reason and we can't make that change and keep the day within the hours that we said we would mm. it will be a delay but it's unavoidable that we need to do that um, and then it might come back the producer might think about it, talk to the director and go actually let's not worry about it we'll stay as we were 
or you know, or you, you know, they push the button and you do. So kind of finding out all HODs, getting that question, then ultimately going up the chain of command to the director producing to saying, well, look, oh. this yeah. is where that, you know, giving them the, the options. Yeah. Um, it's sort of quite rare, I think, for an AD to make a unilateral decision mm. on something because you're the, the impetus for that decision will have come from somewhere mm. and the knock-on for that will affect someone. So those people need to be involved in the conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, about, it's as much about coordinating, the, coordinating with everyone on set mm. and making sure that the decisions that are being made are beneficial to the shoot day as a whole mm. and the shoot process as a whole. As a whole. Yeah. Nice. And then getting into the industry, really simple, just turned up day one on my first AD? Uh, or is, there, is, that, is that not how <laughs> well, it happens? I think some people might. But <laughs> <laughs> so what was your route in? Where, how did you, where did you start? Um, I, I came from a theatre background okay. um, and moved across, uh, moved across when I was in my, well, I was... Uh, between 29 and 30 mm-hmm. um, which is a, a, a good age to come in or was it just the right time for you personally with what you, the experience that you had I no I don't think it's particularly a good age to come in at the end at the, in your late 20s I think it's probably it, yeah, no I think you should be coming into being a runner in your late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. ideally, that it just gives you more scope um, to sort of learn and expand and gives you a sort of longer career to, to develop yourself mm-hmm. in, really. No, I came in, um, I, I was working in uh, technical theatre, um, decided to make a change across. I knew that from, I was working uh, in the latter stages as a production manager. Okay. And that's quite similar it's much more similar in role to an AD in in film than a production manager in film. Okay. Um, or certain certain parts of it are. So that was organisation budget thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. I've always thought of running a film set as in first AD to be all very similar to running a technical rehearsal um, in theatre. Mm-hmm. It's it's about putting. It's working through each scene, all the cues within a scene, um, tightening it up, making sure it's running well, getting it all set down in theatre in such a way that it can be repeated. So you can take that show off on a on tour. You can run it for you know however however long within the theatre. You know that every night those cues are going to be hit at the same point. Everyone knows what they're doing. The and the point of that technical rehearsal. Um, you know, culminating in a full dress rehearsal is that you get that all worked out, and so though if you if you chop it up into bits um, for film, sort of individual shots, then you do the same thing. You work out how all the cues work, mm-hmm. um, and it's repeatable to an extent because that for that chunk you'll have a you'll have coverage so you'll have a wide you know your wide shot two shot singles whatever other coverage you need and within that little microcosm you need to be able to repeat it you mm. need the cues to happen in the same place yeah. and be that 
vehicles in the background, be that you know background extras, whatever's going on. Lifting a glass the of wine on the same line. Yeah. Does, you know. yeah. Um, and but then once you've done that and you've shot it in its different ways, you never go back to it. Mm. So it's it's more single use, you know. But effectively, the the, the steps are the same. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, and in film world, you have uh, a, a continuity script supervisor who um, are gold dust and will uh, keep an eye on all of the things that yeah. you're not able to look at because yeah. you're looking at other things and make sure that all those beats are being are being hit as well. Um, so again, it's a it's a team effort to make sure mm-hmm. that everything's in the right place. Same as in theatre, you'll have you know you've got your you know, the production managers running it, and you've got your stage manager and your DSM who's calling the show. You've got your DSM, uh, deputy stage manager okay. who's on the book, mm-hmm. who's effectively uh, uh, calling all the cues. Your assistant stage managers who and stagehands who are then dealing with the, the props and scene changes. Um, and then you get into World of Flymen who move scenery around, mm. kind of up and down, your, your, your board ops, your lighting and sound departments and everything. But it's all, it's all sort of co- all coordinated together. And then you would be, so you'd be organising that throughout the technical record. So throughout it's, it's throughout so the technical rehearsal, yeah. So you're, you know, so you're, you're working. Sorry, sorry, yes, so yeah. you're, you're making sure you're stopping and starting and you're saying, actually, so the, you know, we're setting, the, setting this lighting cue at that point, this sound cue at that point. The, this, this is where the scene change is going to mm. happen. Um, so it gives you a great confidence to be able to work, come on a film set and just be able to tell people what to do, I guess. You know, or not, not what to do, sorry, as in being confident enough that you can organise and plan yeah. the day because you come, an 18-year-old that's just come out as a film student, film school, probably doesn't have that confidence to be able to, or experience to manage a film set. Yeah. So was there a lot that you took from theatre that went into ADing or was it was it just like a little, the cream at the top? No, it's low, lots. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it, I had to learn a new language coming into film. Yeah. Um, like I say, it's, it's in, in in theatre, you deal kind of with the full the whole picture. Mm-hmm. It's eventually kind of you do the whole show in two hours or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. everything happens within that two hours. And then you debrief afterwards and you go through it. Now, in in film world, it's very rare to do very kind of to do a whole piece mm. in that short amount of time and cover everything. Um, some live work you do, but again, that's a lot. You know, as with this, there's a lot of rehearsals involved in that. Um, but in the kind of, and certainly in commercials world, it's microcosms. You do that close up and that close up, and this little bit of coverage, and mm. you go to another room and you do that bit of action. And um, but the but the I suppose the nuts and bolts of what you're doing are, are very much the same. Um, <laughs> the strangest thing I think stepping onto a film set with the way the language is is that film sets are much much messier than, <laughs> than a theatre stage because okay. the theatre stage you're designed to it's you, a you, set yeah, you yeah. as an audience you sit in the auditorium and you watch the stage and mm. you see the picture now all around that above it to the sides below up front behind you above you there's all the lights you've got microphones and speakers and stuff set up but it's it, it's it's an image that you're looking at mm. and and you know some shows don't really change set at all others do massively but it's <clears throat> it's all designed to happen within that picture mm. 
Whereas in film world, you've got massive lights here and silks and frames and this, that and the other. And you've got a prop man up a ladder dangling <laughs> something over the step. And, if you, and, yeah. and obviously you're looking through the lens and that's what you see. Mm. And if you step back from that, it's just the, the you know the the, the picture's ruined. If yeah. you like. So it's um that was a, that was an interesting thing to experience stepping onto film set because I'd never really thought about that before. Did you um, come in as a as an AD? Did you go no, theatre into? No, no, came in as a runner. Um, the when I when I stepped across, um, I did some work experience at various places just to kind of get a foot through the door. And then when I came in, what does that mean? Working. Work experience. What did what did you did you go in house? Were you on set? Was no, it I was unpaid. Um, paid. It was. I um, I did a stint on uh, Channel Four's live breakfast show called Rise, mm-hmm. um, and that was through some contacts I had who were working in comedy um, in the theatre. In well, yeah. I mean, so when I was working in theatre, I was also doing touring with comedians as also doing corporate lighting work mm-hmm. you know there's you, you you throw your hand in at a lot of things when you yeah. work in theatre it's very very sort of um, collaborative industry I think mm-hmm. maybe that's the wrong word it's it's one where you can quite happily jump between lighting sound chipping mm-hmm. um, stage management an immersive experience of yeah, it's all of it's, it's, it's a it, um I wouldn't say, you know, it's what does that say? Um, um, uh, master that? of... Master of none. I'm yeah. trying to think what the first half of that Jack phrase of is. Jack of all trades. It's, yeah. it's not quite that, because you can be master of one and still work in others oh. in a theatre. But um, um, I sort of lost my thread of what we were oh, talking you, about. But, so um, you're in there, you've got your contacts oh, yes, to get you into so, so I did, so I did, did a stint on that, um, and that was my first experience of sort of, of studio live camera work. Mm-hmm. Um which was even have its, has its own language as well. Yeah, to absolutely. That was closer to what I'd been doing because mm-hmm. you'd have a script meeting very early in the morning, about four o'clock, um, and then go through go through the script, work out the segments, work out where the camera positions were going to be for the segments, mark up the script. So it was like doing a. It was kind of like doing a technical rehearsal mm. in like hour and a half. Okay. Which you know, usually a, a technical rehearsal in theatre is like a week or at least wow. a couple of days. Um, so it was, it was quick, mm. yeah. But it was formulaic in a way for them because they knew that in this kind of sequence the camera positions will be here. Mm-hmm. In this sort of sequence, this is something slightly different, and we're going to do this. Um, so in that sense, that was that was interesting because then that was a short technical rehearsal some specific line runs and rehearsals and then you go live just before seven o'clock and you do a two-hour show. Um, the, rest of the, the rest of the day is yours, thank you very much. The rest of the day was my, it was my own after nine o'clock, which is lovely. Nice little stroll back from Queensway across Hyde Park nice. in the morning and smashing. Um, um, and then staying up late to watch EastEnders. Yeah, that was odd. It, it kind of in bed by half five, six o'clock in the oh, afternoon. Oh, wow. Feeling like I was seven again. Kind of, oh, yeah, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> Don't go to bed. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm guessing the alarm's got to be going off at like three o'clock. Half two. Half two. God, yeah. The middle of the night. It is the middle of the night. So anyway, so, and so that was, did you get in? So that was just some work experience. That was not paid. That was un, just to get unpaid a taste. work experience, just to get a sense mm-hmm. of 
what the industry's like. And then I did um, I did a couple of things like that, sort of bit of ga- sort of going into a TV gallery to watch a recording of something. And whilst you were still doing theatre, or had you? Yeah, still doing theatre, still doing theatre, still working. Well, I had to earn some money at that point, so I was still doing theatre, still doing the lighting work. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, the corporate lighting work was a good one to have at that stage because it was you'd do you'd sort of do three possible shifts. It was a lot of it was in museums, mm-hmm. um, so it would be uh, in the evenings in museums. A lot of them have parties, big corporate functions, um, hundreds of people, full dinners, you know, dancing, all sorts. Um, and you'd go in if it was a particularly big one. You'd go in at six o'clock in the morning and you'd do a pre-rig of some lights, mm. which had to be safe and out of the way for before the, for the, the public. Yeah, for the okay. public during the day. So you'd do work from sort of six till six till ten, mm. and then you'd go back uh, five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and if you ever do go to the, you know, if you next time you're in the Natural History Museum or the Science Museum or something, if you're there right at the tail end of the day when they're making those announcements, like the museum is going to close in ten yeah. minutes. Keep an eye on you tumbling in a bit with a helmet on. Have a look into the dark corners. <laughs> you, might, you might see some uh, some people in uh, in t-shirts and fleeces ready to push flight cases into position wow. or roll tables in and people ready to bring you know the the, the ovens and wow. all the kitchen stuff in. So then you'd had you'd have a about an hour and a half from six till seven thirty maybe mm. um, to get it all finished and focused and ready. And one person would stay on site as a duty tech. From the lighting department, and then and all the other departments would have their people as well. Um, and then you'd come back at midnight, and you'd pull it all out. And be done by like two in the morning. And by theatre standards, that was good money, you know. But um, but actually, the, the 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 rate for doing all of that um, without the duty, like if you just did the three shifts, mm. was about as much as I could get as a runner in commercials. Wow. So this the kind of the the. There was, in, there was a financial incentive to, to move across the world. But it was, you know, it was really good. It was, re- it was good work. It was good fun work and mm. lovely people to work with. And it was really, really flexible as well. So it enabled me then to go off and do... I did a little low-budget feature film that I found on shooting people. As an AD, as a runner, this, as this a This was as a second AD. Okay. Um, but no one really knew what a second AD did. <laughs> Certainly I didn't. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I'll take it. Um, so I was sort of second AD slash continuity on that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, you know, nobody really, I think, on that film had a particularly clear idea of what their role was. So can you what, learn from that kind of a you experience? Can, yeah, you can, because you need to get it done. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, there was... I think some people on there had more ideas, more, more concept of what we were supposed to be doing than others. Mm. I mean, certainly the director did. Yeah. But even he was quite inexperienced. Um, but, um, yeah, of course you learn. You learn by doing the wrong thing a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, that's why I don't do it yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Um, so I did that and then... How long was that for? A week? Two weeks? No, it was like three weeks or something. Wow. Three weeks. But it was, it was based in... It was based down in Brighton, mm-hmm. where my mum and dad live. So Perfect. I was able. To, I didn't have to spend anything on a, on accommodation. Mm. It was, it, you know, it was a lost leader. But it was. I was able to not. I was able to say to my other employers, you know, kind of, I'm, you know, I'm not available for these three weeks, mm. without any real question about, you know, why. They'd be like, okay, so you know, I'm going to book some work in for, and I was going to be finished. And mm. Yeah, you take it. Take a little bit of a hit, but I was lucky in that respect. Um, a little bit of savings to be able to do that. 
Um, so was that like a little taster to kind of go, what does the film side look like instead of the theatre? Or had you already kind of sussed out that you were thinking about making a move sideways? Um, I'd already sort of figured out that I was going to make that move. Mm. It was That was useful to see, um, to kind of get that experience. But I think it was only really when I started getting on set as a runner mm. on, you know, and I, I sort of fell into commercials that I really started to understand the language of what we were doing. Um, and it was sort of, you know, it, it, it just sort of happened that I fell into commercials rather than, uh, you know, rather than features or long form. Um, but it suited me because I could do, even though it was, you know, when I first started, it was really quiet, you know, didn't, didn't get much work to begin with. It took a while for, to, to kind of to start getting back on set. Mm. I could still do the corporate lighting stuff on the side. You know, and so the only, there was a, the only difficulty was sometimes if I had to drop a corporate, you know, drop a lighting gig last minute because a film thing had come in. Um, but like I said, you know, the, the, the company I was working with then, it was, it was only one company at that stage. Mm. They were really understanding and really sort of helpful with it. And yeah, there was, there was a couple that I had to sort of knock back the film jobs because I knew it was, I'd be dropping them in it if I didn't do that. But then also I had, had a great friend who um, runs a senior construction company who, which was just setting up really at that time, moving into new premises. Um, and he was really helpful to me because I was, I was able to come in to help him out uh, he, I was helping him out he was helping me out I'd do the odd shifts there if I was quiet and I wasn't doing any work then I'd be able to go in there for a week and work on something work, work through something with him and right. if I had just had the odd day here and there I could you know, he'd have a bit of work for me um, so those kind of things were really really useful particularly in a way because they were a, a step aside from the film, the film industry yeah. and you know you, you, I learned over time that you can you can step away from a film set. You can be you can not be on set for a couple of months, mm. and then come back on, and no one will question so no, one, no one will question yeah. that you've been away for two months. Yeah, that'll be the questions: Have you been busy? What have you been up to? Mm. But actually, what was the last job we worked on? Yeah, it doesn't okay, matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you step away for a while, or if it's quiet that you're not working for a while. When you come back and things pick up, it's a little bit like. A, you know, a big group of friends who are very familiar with one another who it's like, great, oh, nice to see you. Mm. And it's kind of, you, you, you pick up from where you left off. Um, so how yeah, does that, how did, like, I actually got asked that question by a film student the other day and they're like, how do you, do you ever get used to those, so that you say you have two months off, actually those two months off might be that you've had no work mm. at all. Yeah. And, she, and, and, and they asked me, you know, how do you, do you get used to it? How do you kind of work through those? Simple answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I mean, all my theatre life was freelance. So, oh, what did I work out? It's something like, I've been freelance for, it'll be 24 years this year. Um, wow. Yeah, 24 years. And it doesn't, yeah, it, it gets slightly easier when you're quiet for a bit, but not that much easier it's still very nerve it's still really nerve wracking if you haven't got something in the diary to, mm. to come back to even as much as you rationalise it and you say you know you go oh actually this financial year has been okay and mm. we've done alright and I've got enough savings to keep me going you're actually still sitting there going oh really you know, it'd be nice if I knew that there was something coming up because yeah. we all get it we all have you know the 
two or three weeks, sometimes longer when you're sitting there going, oh, <laughs> suddenly, suddenly that low budget promo is looking very attractive there. <laughs> Yeah. Just because you just want to do something. Yeah. The, the worst thing is you get rusty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first day back on set after a you know Christmas the, break or whatever Christmas break or a few weeks or a holiday or whatever, and you're a little bit like, well, what do we do here? Sorry, yeah, is, does, is it turnover or rollover? Yeah, or how, does, how does this work? Because <laughs> you forget things. Of course yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't get. It never gets easy. Mm. It gets easier a little bit over time but um but you just have to be calm about it mm. you have to be uh you have to be stoic about it because there are some things you can do like you can start phoning around you can send your cv out you can get in touch with people find out what's going on i hate networking mm. I, this, it, and i know a lot of just because it's uncomfortable yeah, or you just yeah, it's, de- it's deeply uncomfortable and it's um, Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Well, don't, just give me some work. Yeah, it's like that. It's, it's basically. It's, yeah, it, 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 it's awful. I mean, it's. Um, I've never felt comfortable doing it. Mm. Some people are better than others, but I, I bet you most freelancers out there feel the same. Mm. Um, it's just, uh, you know, if you, if you bump into someone on set or in the canteen at the studios or whatever and you have a chat, it's lovely. You can talk about what you're up to and then you're you're more current in their thoughts with when the next thing might come in. But to phone them up out of the blue, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, you know... Just phoning up to say hi. Anything going on? Or, you know, can I come in and meet you? Just... Is it easier for work experience to do it because you can clearly see what they're trying to do, which is they're trying to get into the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're, you're putting yourself out there. And I think if you're entry-level work experience... That's what you're putting yourself out there as. Mm. Saying, can I come and be on your set and help out? Mm. Great. Yeah, of course you can. Don't mind you asking that at all. But if you're a head of department, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> can I come and help out on your set? Yeah. You know, actually, we've already got an AD. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, yeah, it's, it is, it's much more difficult. It's, yeah, so we fly by the seat of our pants a lot of the time and mm. the way you know the way you get more work is by working and by getting on with people and then you get recommendations from various you know from people to other people to say oh no, he was all right let's you know you can try him out or sometimes you get work because someone else isn't available mm. you know and they might put you forward and it's a um I can't say that I'm very much more proactive than that, and I've been and I've been very lucky in that as well. That mm. you know, there's been quiet times, but mostly it's pretty good. Mm. Um, you know, there's no guarantee it's going to last. So wow. you know, that's the other thing that you know, you never really get used to. Um, Just thankful every day that you kind of get the call. So yeah, if you if you if you're stepping into a world of freelancing, welcome to a world of you know, insecurity. For, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but um, yeah, save your taxes. Yeah, have your, January, <laughs> have your January tax bill sorted yes. and done. Oh, yeah. Because that's not something you want to get into. Um, well, we were... So I'm just going to go back and touch because you've kind of gone... You, you're doing a bit of work experience. Mm. You came into then commercials, late 20s. What's then? What was then the route up into ADing? Did you already... Having the background that you had, you kind of went, I know I want to be an AD. Or was there a moment that you went... 
oh my god, I fucking love what that man slash woman slash you know lady I think is doing. I'd given myself a target of first AD um, when I stepped in. I thought that's what, or at least that was that was my thought at the time. But it was sort of. Uh, it was conditioned with need, knowing that I needed to go on set and see what a first AD does mm-hmm. and actually see whether it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. So that was the, that was the the plan. Um, and so, as a runner on set, that's who I was looking at. I was looking at the first AD and okay. I was looking at the second AD and the AD department and figuring out: Is it for me? Is it for me? And what what are they what are they doing? How are they doing it? And is it for me? Um, and it was, you know, like I said, it was, it was because it was so similar to what I had been doing. In many ways, it was then just about learning the language and figuring out what do they do differently. How do they use? How would I use my skills to do what they're doing? Mm. Um, and um, and so I did about two and a half years as a runner. Okay. Um, and then oh, being, I was thirty-two at that point. I was like, quite a small. Yes. It's it's a very short term, but I guess your past experience, you kind of did. Was it quite tough, kind of coming in at that lower, having run theatre, coming in at that lower level? Was it quite a bitter, not a bitter pill, but was it a no, tough experience? I, no, I don't think it was a bitter pill at all. I think it was it was fascinating um, and really interesting, and I took a lot. I got a, I, you know, I took a lot away from that experience. But it was you know I, I put myself in that role, so I was going to do that role. Mm. Um, and, you know, I still remember some of those first jobs and some of the things we ended up doing. Like, it was a, um, like being in a bottle in a valley in Hampshire somewhere and literally running up a two-in-one two in one gradient with boxes of oranges, <laughs> you know, to try and get them from the bottom to the top. To and feed people or were they props? No, no, this was props. This was like all day, just running okay. boxes of oranges up and down this hill. In that kind of relay, we had three, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> just stupid stuff like that, but he's kind of sort of going, well, you know, I would never be doing this in theatre. Yeah. <laughs> it's freezing, I'm outside, but I'm running oranges up a hill, but this is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, it's like doing a, doing a studio car commercial and... That being a, a scene with seven bloodhounds kind of sniffing around the car, that was the shot. Nice. Another cold day, and Animal Hander had been outside with them, make sure they were all right to come on set. Obviously, it was a little bit cold for the bloodhounds outside, so they waited until they got on set before all seven of them pissed all over the floor. <laughs> and the car. Oh, no. And in that situation, you sort of look at it and go, well, yeah, that's got to be cleaned up. <laughs> so, uh, who's got some rubber gloves? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, you, and you just throw yourself into that. And it, so all really kind of, it was a really interesting time, but I knew, you know, kind of knew while I was doing it mm. that I wanted to step up and I could see that being a second AD was very close to being a company stage manager mm-hmm. in theatre, dealing with the cast and, and that kind of thing. And I was confident doing that from theatre day. So I was like, well, that's what I'm going to push for. Mm. I'm going to try and do this as soon as possible. Um... And I made the decision then after after two and a half years, I was like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this now, even though I might not know everything I need to know about it and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit scary, but I'm just gonna do this now and this is what I'm gonna do. So I said, right, okay, no more running. I'm just gonna second. And I was lucky enough at that point that um, there were two other 
there are two or three other second ads who just stepped up to firsting. No, oh, right, okay. they were good timing. Yeah, they they were like really that they were busy seconds, mm. um, and which meant that it freed up it kind of it created a vacancy mm. with a couple of first ads who I'd been working with and doing the odd bit of cover seconding for. Um, so it meant it, I was very lucky at that, that stage, that point in time, that I could step up for those two ADs. And then they became my, you know, my regular first for the next sort of eight years, really. Um, so that, that was the... And then that was the... So that was the step up. Um, I mean, it didn't start auspiciously. My first, my first job as a full-time second was a a massive pink promo which started the morning after I got back from holiday oh wow um, so my flight my flight was due to land from Spain in, at like midnight and it was delayed so it didn't land till 2am oh god um, just drive straight then, to the well pretty much and it was then it was a 6am call at the Brixton Academy classic 16 hour promo yeah well two you know, multiple days as well and um, you know Big, you know, big film first. Mm. Uh, I, you know, not a very communicative production team, presumably okay. because they were slammed with getting everything ready. Mm. So um, this was a, my, my, the first big lesson of being wow. a second AD. Is I, I turned up to that shoot morning unprepared, and. I, do you know what? I cannot believe that for a second. Knowing <laughs> <laughs> you as a first, and you. Like yeah, that's, but that mean, but that that's taught it. me. That taught me a really, really valuable lesson. I hadn't been sent the right info, mm. and I hadn't pushed hard enough for it. Mm. Um, and so I was chasing my tail mm. from from the get go on that job, and that kind of thing. Where I was, you know, I probably stepped up, maybe stepped up a little bit too soon, maybe had a little bit too much confidence in my own abilities. And that was a tricky shoot. That was a mm. difficult shoot. And I got chewed out a little bit on that one. But boy, did I learn some stuff. No, good learning curve. You know, really, well, we really, spoke really, earlier really about turning up as a first AD and having it in your head. Yeah. I guess it's just as important as a second. Yeah. That you have that info in your head as well when you turn up. Yeah. What's you, the first shot? It's this, this and this. How long have I yeah. got two hours to get these yeah. people? I mean, exactly. Yeah, as a second, you should know that before you step on because often as a second, you're the first person, you're one of the first people there with mm. the hair and makeup and costume department getting people ready before the um, before the first AD or many other people turn up. Mm. Um, so that conversation the day before a shoot between a second and first on commercials is... It's really important because that's often all the second gets mm. um, before uh, you know before work. Yeah, starts. there's no prep. It's no, very very rarely yeah. any prep for a second on, on commercials. Um, so anyway, then we got yeah that that eight, eight years wow. of that, and I think probably the you know the, after about four years of seconding, I started doing little bits of firsting. Mm -hmm. um, Make um, you a better second, or did it change anything? Um, Hard to say, really. Um, I, I'm sure I took elements from those jobs into you know into the other stuff I was doing. But those first few firsting jobs, well, I say first few, that first couple of years of firsting jobs, mm. I really hated it. It's crazy. the role or the, the experiences, the or just role, just the kind of the role and the way it was. 
you know, I think it partly because of the lack of experience mm. and finding, kind of finding out, trying to figure out how things work mm. as a first and the dynamics you need to sort of you need to work with on set was actually really hard, and particularly then because those kind of jobs and those scale of jobs that you're doing are usually very low budget. Mm. So you're you're sort of scrabbling around anyway. It took quite a long time to feel comfortable with it, um, but then that was so. Yeah, I suppose I probably did about four years of side by side, bits okay. of firsting, bits of seconding mm-hmm. before I decided to make the step up. And um, knew when it was right to step up, or was it just did, did something else happen again that you're like, you know? I think what happened was I started to get a little bit complacent as a second. Mm-hmm. It felt it started feeling like I've, I've kind of done this. It's no longer. Uh, it's wrong to say it's no longer engaging me because I was still enjoying it. I was having a lot of fun doing it, mm. but I wasn't feeling challenged by it most of the time. Mm. Um, so at that point, I was like, okay, this is, it's time now. It's time to to kind of you know, jump out of my safety zone and go back go, you know, and step up to first thing. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was, um, that was then. Um, and that was about six years ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, and now getting getting confidence. Are there ever kind of jobs now that you go, you get those little butterfly like that? You still get nervous on some of them. Of course, yeah. So know when we last spoke, you were doing something out abroad. You were over in Europe, and there was like some stuff that you were doing with the bus on the thing and all the rest of it. I was like, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, the, a lot of. Yeah, there's bread and butter work, mm. which is really lovely when you're working with people you know and you're doing something to a formula. And I've, I've been doing quite a lot of food work in the last couple of years and okay. with some really nice directors. And it's, and it's lovely and it's you know, kind of a nice team and it's all comfortable and you know what you're dealing with and it's a lovely day at work. But then, like you say, there's the big ones. And there's the big complicated ones where you're out, you know, often, you know, the one you're talking about was in Ukraine. And um, it was... You know, there were all sorts of things, very, you know, very tricky things going on. I think we had, you know, eight cranes over, eight camera cranes over six days, um, shooting in all sorts of locations. And it all culminated with, you know, flying a, flying a bus off of two heavy lifting cranes. Amazing. You know, um, at night on an airfield. (laughs) You know, the freezing cold. Yeah. The glamour, the glamour and glitz. All that kind of thing. And I think, um, of course, yeah. Of course, of course, you get butterflies with that kind of thing. It's it's, it's those those big jobs that are the challenge, the, the real challenging ones, are off, are some you know often the most exciting as well. And so long as you've got a good team around you and nice people around you, it's it's great because it's collaborative. And you'll, I mean, I'm I'm you know still learning, and I will be you know I'll 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 continue to be learning something new on a shoot day every day that I work until I retire I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that because there'll always be something new that comes up be it a new bit of technology camera technology or, or, or whatever or a new method for filming this or a new way of doing that mm. um, and that's really exciting that's really you know, when you're faced with something like that um, and you know 99% of the time everything comes out really well and then there's the 1% of jobs which for some reason don't and that happens you know it happens to everyone everyone has bad jobs every now and again mm. and those are the ones often that stay with you but you can learn from them 
and they're the ones that you get more lessons. You know, because they stay with you, they're the ones that you you glean more stuff from. Mm. Whereas the ones that go really well, um, often just become habit, I guess. Partly, and often it because you sort of forget. Mm. You sort of forget about them because you've got another job coming up that you're concentrating on, and mm. sort of you know the it gets pushed to one side. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 there's still a lot for me to learn. There's a lot for a lot of us to learn. But um, yeah. What's your advice then to your younger self? Um, uh, tricky. I don't know. I I I feel quite happy with the path that I took. I think. Um, I would have probably thought about getting into the industry sooner but I was having such a good time doing theatre in my 20s that that wasn't really an option Um, um, and it can be any age yeah, uh, it, I, can be, it can be uh, your advice to you, yourself was when you were seconding. It can be your advice to yourself before you even got into theatre. I'm not, I don't actually mind where it is in your mm, timeline. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always, there was a, there was a, a sort of a fork in the road for me when I was, when I was 16, when I'd, set up my I set up my A-levels with the intention of going into BA pilot training oh wow um, and I suppose I often wonder when I, when I finished my A-levels I then just started to go off and study drama mm. you know which is a little bit of a departure <laughs> <laughs> I want to act like and a pilot <laughs> and I don't regret it for one minute but I, that's the kind of the one thing I do sometimes wonder should I should I've often done that but that's not really I suppose it's not really advice um, I think the only piece of advice I'd, the only piece of advice I'd give is say yes more often because there's a lot of as, being that little bit older when I was stepping up as a second I think I was a little bit more kind of reticent about certain things mm. maybe it might have been a question about the financials mm. of a certain proper certain job at a certain time when I was when I was busy I didn't want to sell myself for that you know for that small amount of money for that particular job maybe there was something else going on and I was like no I'm not good I don't want to do that for the most part I think it was I made most of the right decisions but I think there was some times where I could have been a little bit more open to kind of to say just say fuck it yeah Mm. let's do it um sounds like good advice for those coming into the industry as well yeah I think it's it's difficult because I, I mean, it, there's you've got you don't want to you don't want to be the person who always does kind of who does everything regardless of what the money is because mm. you've got to respect what your worth is. But I think the younger you are coming into the industry, the more flexibility you've got to do that. You can get you can get out there and and say yes, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, and I think the other the other bit of advice I'd give my younger self, and this is sort of slightly conditional upon if I'd have gone into the industry earlier, mm. is to try and do a bit more in features. 
than I did. I only worked on one big feature. Um, and wasn't right at the time. I enjoyed it. No, I had a really good time. I learned a lot from it. But it was, um, I don't know, for me, it was that thing of I wasn't willing to give up that large portions of time away from, yeah. away from yeah, my life. Yeah, 12, 16 weeks yeah, of... which I did as a, when I was touring mm. in, in, the, in my 20s. And I think maybe I should have been a bit more open to that. So I think the, the advice would be just be, be, be more open to doing those things because, you know, on a feature 12, 16 weeks down the line, you pop out, pop out the other end and you can get on with it again. Mm. You know, it's... Um, you don't lose anything really by doing that you only gain new experience nice yeah yeah nice and have you got so having had the levels of experience you've had in theatre and TV and and then commercials have you got any little little, is there like a little funny story in any of those is there any a little a little silly story just to I I was thinking about this it's it's, it's hard to to pick them out I think the only thing I can think of is was the one of the things I can think of was the the best shoot ever, which um, was I was I was seconding at the time and I wasn't long a second. I think I was maybe a year and a bit into seconding, and it was just this extraordinary job which we did on the Isle of Scilly, which um, I mean I, was, I, was, I tried to dig out the call sheet. For a little while ago, but I know that you know on the on the running team. So on the running team for that, there are now there, there are two guys who are now established first ads. Was, it was helmed by the you know the extraordinary Justin Travers, um, who's still you know he, he, he's one of the you know top commercials first out there. Um, we all went out to the Isles of Scilly and filmed with the local community for an, an Adidas job. And it was a, this, this kind of, the story was about the kids' football team were going to challenge the adults' football team. Um, on the island. On the island. Yeah. And there's, you know, there, was, there was two adults' football teams on the island. Every season they start off by going up to the garrison field, everyone lines up and they pick teams and that's it for the season. <laughs> they play each other 16 times apart from cup games. Brilliant. Anyway, so the, the idea was coach, coach of the kids' team, he's taught them everything he can, he's decided to bring in some help. And all of the people we were filming, so there was no actors in it. It was all locals. Mm. It was all the local kids and people who were working with us while we were out there, helping us out and supporting us. And then um, we started smuggling in world-class football players. <laughs> Amazing, as you do. As you do. As so, Adidas can have the power. So we had, yeah, we had Stephen Gerrard, we had um, no. David Beckham, Michael Ballack, wow. Anderson... Um, so we're talking kind of mid to late 90s? No, we're talking, no, no, we're talking 2007. 2007, 2007 yeah. okay. Um, Patrick Vieira. Wow. Um, yeah, so, I mean, really, you know, big names at the time, yeah. really big names at the time, and all came out and were coaching, coming out to do some coaching with the kids' team. And then, as well as that, we'd run around the island with them and shoot, you know, them in the fish and chip shop or with the, um, you know, with the bank manager and... Um, the, what, I earn 500 grand a week no, what could I do no, so it was the bank manager's house bank manager was a diehard Liverpool supporter no, so and, Stephen um, Gerrard in his house that's yeah, right and yeah. so the idea was so he, he comes back from like an art department in there sort of setting you know kind of setting up and he's everyone knows that we're filming and 
Um, Did they know who's coming? No, but they didn't know any of that because we had so we had to confiscate all the kids' mobile phones. Okay. The the the, the players would fly into the airport. We'd get them onto bus. We'd get them onto our mini buses, mm. and we'd drive them to the to the I can't think kind of the, the safe house mm-hmm. where they'd hang out until we were ready for them. But so obviously, as soon as we landed, it got news started getting around the island. Yeah, they were on, They were there, which is why we had the kids' phones off them. Mm. Um, but obviously, all the drivers, so all the, this buses, buses building up, and um, the bank manager comes home from work. He's talking to the in the art department and uh, saying, "So, so, uh, oh, so you're going to be filming a little bit in here." The art department, did, you know, kind of doesn't know who know who didn't know who knew what. So yeah. It was like, so, "Yeah, yeah." So um, Stephen Gerrard's coming around. We're going to do a little scene with you. He kind of he, 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 your sons are bringing him back, and he's going to sleep on the sofa tonight. And he's, <laughs> he, he just froze. Like, <laughs> absolutely. So, and he kind of, he's like, who? Stephen Gerrard, coming to my house? Yeah, they'll be here in about half an hour. We've got to get on with So there, yeah, kind of cue all the cards. He's like, Stephen Gerrard signs the foreheads of the two boys. You've got... You're never washing those faces again, boys. Those whole two or three days would just filled with little sort of beautiful moments the guy who was doing our catering at the Salonian Club um, it's like a rotary club there Mm. he was the chef Um, I remember him on the last day you know striding down the street with his tray of sandwiches absolutely proud of Punch because proud as Punch because David Beckham had signed 23 David Beckham on the (laughs) on the chest of his chef's whites that he was wearing and he he, yeah he could not look happier it was it was one of those things. It, it, I've never done a, another job like it. Just it a was, lovely, amazing feeling. It was the energy and yeah. fun and joy that was on that job. And for those those of us who are on it, when, you know, it comes up, you know, regularly. Always oh, got the Isle of Sillies. Yeah, the the the, the silly Isles. Silly Isles, sorry. Special, special job in the silly. Oh yeah, that was um, that was a special one. Um, yeah, and for every one of those, there's. Uh, there's you know a hundred yeah. other jobs but which a, are a lovely little like that's kind of feels like a nice little lightning bolt then for for yeah. for the commercials world or for Aideen as well on that job yeah I mean that was that was that was truly special mm. that job that was a that was a really nice one um yeah I think yeah I mean I think, again lightning, the lightning bolt moment um It was, it was it was very the lightning bolt thing was really small for me it, not small but it was really sort of seemingly insignificant mm. it was it, as a runner kind of there's a thing of being nearby but not too close mm. so that you're close enough to react to something without being in the way and I don't even remember what the shoot was but I remember standing kind of watching everything going on stage one Black Island for something or other and just sort of looking around and realising the level of experience and skill and talent on that stage that I was kind of surrounded by and that I had the ability to tap into and to talk to and to Mm. learn from and that it was just simple it's just simple as that going actually there's a there's such an evolution to be had here in my own experience and so much 
that we can learn from what's going on and from the people here and that's going to be a different set of people tomorrow and a different set of people the next day and it just felt like a proper treasure trove to sort of delve into nice I think it was yeah that's probably when I realised it was the right place to be mm. um, and yeah still learning uh, every day <laughs> yeah. every day well, look, we're getting kind of close to the end. Mm. So have you got any people or projects, personal projects or anything like that you want to give a, a shout-out to? Um, there's, well, there's one person I want to give a shout-out to. And I've, I've mentioned Justin already, but I need to mention Sean, uh, Sean Cotter. Who the Lion of Judah. Yeah, who was my, um, my first AD and mentor for many years. Um, um, yeah absolutely legend in the industry and without him um, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today and secondly uh, Lynn Hurley who was the who ran uh, Red Diary Service for many years when I from when I joined um, until about two or three years ago um, who again was uh, an incredible mentor to me and um, yeah without whom I would not be doing what I'm doing today nice. so to those two thank you very much and um yeah. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to leave us with? Um, gone completely blank. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, just treat every day on... I mean, I, I think the thing is to treat every day on set as a privilege, really, because it's, it's, it's so... It, it can be so precarious as a freelancer that you don't know really you don't really know when your next job's going to be you don't know who you're going to be working with mm. and what you're going to be doing so um and we got to treat every we got to treat every day as a privilege and the most important thing on a film set is respect for others because they're they're an experienced talented bunch of people and there's a, everyone on that set is the best person on that set to do the job they're doing so we got to respect Great. that yeah. yeah, got to respect that and respect the people we work with because, um, you know, they're all good people. And if they're a bit grumpy one day or another, some people are, then so be it, we're all human. Yeah. Something else might be going on in their lives. And mm. yeah. Nice. Keep it one big happy family. Yeah, film family. <laughs> well, look, thank you. So I guess that brings us to the end of another lovely podcast. Just massive, massive thank you to Mr Jay Lusser um, for coming again to round two ding ding hopefully there isn't a round three and I've pressed all the right <laughs> buttons that I need to um, but if you want to check him out go to jlusser.com it's his first AD and website so that is jlusser.com I'll put it in the little text um, in wherever you're listening um, and I guess film family don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to also if you've got people that are film students and media students Tell them to go to thetimescheduler.com. It's where I'm kind of putting all of the bits that we're kind of collating with all these lovely, wonderful industry people and HODs. So go there, check that out. Uh, And until next time, that is a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.
This episode is sponsored by RSVP. RSVP brings together two established video playback companies into one powerhouse with over 50 years of onset knowledge. The experienced and growing team are all skilled in the latest recording software with up-to-date HD video recording equipment, HD monitors, and HD wireless packages. RSVP understand that the requirements for every shoot are different. So for a tailor quote, get in touch at info at rsvp.london.